Well, guys, if you brought your Bible, and I really hope that you will bring your Bible with you. I know we put scriptures on the screen, but there's something about having the Bible in your hand and reading it for yourself and, and then being able to go back to that and to reference it. I know that when we do it on our phones, we, we technically have the scriptures with us. But then you go home and you're like, you know, where was that passage he preached on? What was that that he covered? And it's just neat to, to be able to have your Bible and to make some marks in it and to be able to go back and look at this later on because there's, there's no way that in the time that it's allotted to us uh, on these mornings that I can say everything to you that the Holy Spirit wants to be said. Uh, and I think that as we have the Word of God with us and we go back to it during the week, that God can speak to us uh, even more powerfully uh, in, our, in our quiet times. We're going to deal with a passage today that deals with a, a servant, a slave, that has run away from his master. And I want to be very, very clear up front that this is not a passage that condones slavery. Some might would like to preach it that way. Some would like, like to take the scriptures and twist it and make people think that this is a, a passage that somehow condones slavery. Uh, in this passage, it's, it's written about a, a, a master named Philemon, uh, about a slave named Onesius. And Onesius ran away from his master. And we will see in this, in this story that, that Paul is, is outlining for us here today the use of a term called bondservant. It's, it's a Greek word called doulos, and, and it's used in the Scripture, uh, and, and it's translated uh, as a servant or a bondservant. In, in this case, in the ESV, it's translated as a bondservant. And and, and this type of a servant was unlike slaves that we've seen here in America, slaves that we've read about around the world. This is not a, an American type of slavery. A, a bond servant was somebody who had, had, had put themselves under the, the, the ownership, if you will, or under a contract to somebody else. There were different reasons that, that people would enter into this bond servant role, uh, but it's not a slave like we would think of. Uh, people in, in the biblical day... Uh, became bond servants and bond servants were officially bound under contract with their master to serve for a period of seven years uh, it was not a lifelong sentence it was not that people would go into this bond servant position uh, either because they were trying to escape poverty they couldn't feed themselves they couldn't provide for their family and so they would literally sell themselves into slavery into this bond servant role for a period of seven years to try to get upon their feet and to do that so some would go into bond servant uh, because uh, it would uh, it would uh, help them to to pay off uh, or to escape uh, uh, poverty Others would go into it to pay off a debt. If I, if I owed Nancy more money than I could pay Nancy, then I might would become her bond servant. I might would, would endear myself to her, sign a contract saying that I would serve her for seven years to be able to pay off the debt that I owe to her. So some would go in voluntarily. Some would go in because they were in debt and that was a way to pay off their debt. Others saw these masters as very generous, kind people that they wanted to work under. And, and what would happen was in, in many cases, these, these masters would bring bond servants under them. There would be a seven-year contract that would be signed for the bondservant to serve this master for seven years. The master then would take the wages. They would be responsible, first of all, for, for room and board to, to feed them and to care for them and to treat them uh, kindly. There were rules in the Jewish system about how you had to treat your bondservant and that you, you were, you were to, to be very generous and very kind to them. The other thing that would happen for these bond servants is that as they serve, the master would take part of their income and set it aside and keep it in a, in a savings account, basically. So at the end of the seven years, when that person was released and declared free, he wouldn't go out penniless, but he would go out with money that he could then stand on his own two feet and to do. 
Onesimus that we're going to read about today was one of those bondservants. He had committed under contract himself to this, this man named Philemon. We're going to learn a lot about Philemon and Philemon's character, his generosity, his kindness toward those underneath him. And so when we read that Onesimus ran away from Philemon, it's not because Philemon was cruel or was harsh or was beating him or was treating him unfairly. The, the, the departure of Onesimus is not a reflection upon Philemon as much as it's a reflection upon the heart of Onesimus. And so I want us to read this together. I want to read through the whole passage together today. And, and as we read this passage, I want you to see some things about the different characters that are mentioned here. We're going to see some things about the heart of Paul. We're going to see some things about the heart of Philemon. We're going to see some things about the heart of Onesimus that, that we need to see and finally, what I hope to be able to do is at the end to be able to bring us to the point that we see the heart of God in this story. So I want us to read this together, and I want you to, to look at the character of Onesimus. Um, he, he served under this kind and generous master, and yet it's believed by scholars that he broke that contract and he ran away. So he was a runaway slave. Um, and others believe that, that from the text and from other stuff that's been written throughout history, that he didn't just leave empty-handed, but he took some of his master's possessions with him. So he was a thief as well as a runaway. Let's read this story that Paul writes. It's a letter that he's writing to Philemon. Uh, it's going to be read by Philemon, by his family, and also to be shared with the church. And so look at what he says here in, in Philemon. It's a very short letter. It won't take us long to read, but let's just read through it together. It says here, Paul, who is a prisoner for Christ, Jesus... And Timothy, our brother. So Timothy is with Paul. Paul's in prison. He's writing to Philemon, our b beloved fellow worker, to Aphia, who's believed to be his wife. Okay, and he says, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. They believe that to be his son. So this is a letter that's going to Philemon, to his wife, Aphia, and to their son Archippus, who is a fellow soldier, meaning that he's probably a servant in, in ministry uh, even in, in, that, in, that, uh, in that day. It's believed, uh, again, we don't know for sure, but it's believed that Philemon was not a pastor, okay? Although he's going to say here that the church met in his house, it's, it's believed that Philemon was a Christian businessman, a very wealthy Christian businessman who owned uh, a lot of, of business and therefore had people that would come and work underneath him. Uh, and so it's written to Philemon. He's a, a beloved fellow worker. So he's a believer in Christ. He's addressed to his wife, to his son, and to the church that met in their house. Verse 3 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he's going to mention grace at the very beginning of this letter. He's going to mention grace at the very end of this letter. And I believe that we're going to see grace all the way through this letter. So here's what he says. He's, he's talking now to Philemon. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. So Paul, we'll see later in the letter, Paul led Philemon to the Lord. Uh, probably when Paul was doing his ministry in Ephesus, before Paul went to prison, Philemon was one of those converts that came to know Christ. He's back now in the, in the area of Colossia. Um, we know that, that, that uh, Onesimus is going to be one of the men that's going to help deliver the letter of Colossians to the Colossia church, but he's also going to deliver this letter now to Philemon, who was probably a part of that church. So he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Paul remembered 
uh, Philemon. He had heard of his faith and his grace and, 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 and of his growth in the Lord. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. This is a godly guy. And I pray that the sharing of your faith, literally it means the, the fellowship of your faith. In other words, the sharing of your faith. Not that you're, you're witnessing, but you're, 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 you're fellowshipping with one another. When we, when we fellowship, we share our faith amongst ourselves. We, we, we encourage one another. It's iron sharpening iron. And that's kind of the, the picture that he's painting here. He says, I, I pray that, 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 that the sharing of your faith may become effective or powerful for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. In other words, he says, I pray that as you fellowship with one another, as you, as you take your faith and pour into others, and others pour their faith into you, as this exchange of faith takes place, that it would be a, a powerful tool that God will use to help make known every good thing that we have in Christ Jesus. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So we get an idea of the character here of this man named Philemon. He is a, a man that is filled with love and with faith, not only toward the Lord, but also toward all the saints. That he's in fellowship with other believers, that he's not doing this in isolation, that he's a man that's opened up his home and he's, he's invited the church to come and meet in his home. He is a guy that, that through the sharing of his faith, it's, 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 it's growing and discipling and developing the other believers. He says, I, I see that happening. And Paul says, Philemon, the way that you live has been an encouragement to me. I've derived much joy and comfort from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Now, we're going to see in this letter that this bondservant is going to run away. He's going to take from this generous man, and he's going to run away. You go, if this guy was such a good master, why in the world would Onesimus run away? That's a great question. I think it's a question that this letter is going to help address. And I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but I want to say to you that sometimes people in good places still aren't content. People who have things well still run away. You and I do that with Jesus. And it's not a reflection of the Father's love on us. It's a reflection of the wickedness of our hearts that, that, that call us away. So here's this slave. He's, he's about to run away. And, and so Paul now is going to plead for this runaway. Verse 8, he says, accordingly, according to, to your character that I've just mentioned here in verses 4 through 7, according to the character that we've seen in you, according to the way that you refresh the saints, according to the way that you love Jesus and love others, that you serve others, and your faith in the Lord and faith in others, according to all these things that we've just mentioned, accordingly, he says, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what's required. Here's what Paul's saying. I'm, I'm a man under authority. Remember last week we talked about being a, a man that was, was under authority with authority? That's Paul. Paul's under the authority of the Lord. Paul has authority then to instruct the churches. He says, even though I have the authority, I'm bold enough to command you to do what's required. Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. He's saying, I, I could command this, but I prefer instead 
to just appeal to you, to ask and to trust you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So we, we gather from this that here's this man who was a runaway slave, and somehow he ends up where Paul is, either in jail with Paul or just somehow hearing of Paul as Paul's ministry continues even in jail, which is a, a great testimony to Paul, by the way, that Paul's imprisoned and Paul's still leading people to Jesus. Paul's life is, is gone to, to pot, if you will. Everything that, that Paul had hoped to accomplish was, 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 was not working out exactly the way Paul wanted to, but Paul was still faithful to his call. He's still faithful to share. And, and somehow, either through this man being in prison with him or the man just hearing about Paul, but somehow Paul gets to lead him to Christ. And so he says, now he's my child because I, I, I fathered him while I was in prison. I, I, I led him to the Lord. So he's talking in spiritual terms. And this is what's interesting, guys, is that the, the name Onesimus means useful or beneficial. It's going to be a play on words here in just a minute where that will make more sense. But, but here he's saying, I could, I could order you to do what's right. I could command that of you. But here's the thing. He's fixing to ask for grace. And grace can never be commanded. We, we can be taught that we're supposed to be graceful. But grace that is forced is not grace, really. And so here's Paul saying, look, I, I'm going to ask you for a, a huge favor. I'm going to ask you to do something that, that you could not do if you weren't the man that you were, that you could not do if Jesus hadn't changed your heart. And so I appeal to you for my child. Paul's making it personal. Whose father I became in my imprisonment. Verse 11. Formerly, he was useless to you. Remember what his name means? Useful. Formerly, he hadn't lived up to his name, Paul's saying. But now, he is indeed useful to you and to me. Onesimus comes to know Jesus through Paul's ministry. And Paul begins to disciple Onesimus. Onesimus is going to begin to minister to Paul. And Paul says his life has been transformed. Formerly, he was useless. Now he is useful. Formerly he didn't live up to his billing, but now he is fulfilling his, his, his name. He is living up to his name. And not only is he useful to you, but he's also useful to me. He's been transformed. And then Paul says something that must be in a shocker. He says, I am sending him back to you. Sending my very heart. Paul says, he has become my child. And yet I know that he's not mine. I, I led him to the Lord. I've discipled him. He's been transformed. He's been changed. But, but he also needs to repent. He needs to come back to you. For he was under contract with you. And he ran away. So I am sending him back to you. I am sending my very heart, Paul says. A piece of me goes with him. Paul says, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf. He might serve me as one that you might send to me during my imprisonment for the gospel. So Paul says, I love to have kept him. But verse 14, I prefer to do nothing without your consent. In other words, this grace thing that I'm about to ask for, 
I want it to flow from your heart, Philemon, not just be forced upon you. This is not a guilt trip. This is not manipulation. This is not me trying to twist your arm to do something that you don't want to do. I am sending him back to you with no strings attached. Would I have liked to have kept him? Absolutely. Was he ministering to me? Absolutely. Were our hearts entwined together as one? Absolutely. But the right thing to do was for me to send him back to you because he still owes you. The fact that Onesimus would be the one carrying the letter, okay? Picture this. Paul saying to Onesimus, you, you got to go back. You, you, you signed a debt. You, you signed a contract to, to Philemon. You've got to go back and fulfill that. Would I love to keep you? Absolutely. But here, I'm going to write a letter for you. And I'm going to explain to Philemon how you've been changed and how you've been different and how God's done this work in your heart and how our hearts have been enmeshed together. And I want you to go deliver this letter. Can you imagine the, the fear that Onesimus had as he approached that town? As he approached Philemon as this runaway slave who has now come back? But he carries this letter from Paul, and he gives it to his former master. And the letter says, man, he is useful now. He has changed now. Formerly he was this, but now he's that. And, and, and I'm sending him back to you, and I'm sending my heart with him, and, and, and I, I'd love to have kept him, but, but I'd rather you make that decision. I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion. It's not forced, but it would be of your own accord. Here's what Paul said. I don't want you to do it because I command you to do it. But I'm sending him back to you so that once again, Philemon, your goodness, the, the, the grace that God's poured in you might overflow again and speak volumes, not only to Onesimus, not only to the church, but also to me, Paul will say. I'm sending him back in order that you can decide what to do with him. And you can do it from your own heart, out of your own accord. And then Paul says, for perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while. That you might have him back forever. Paul says he ran away and he's been away for a while. But perhaps, perhaps in the providence of God, who takes bad things and brings about good. Perhaps in the providence of God, God allowed him to run away. That he might meet Jesus, that he might be transformed, that he might be discipled, and that when you get him back, he's a completely different man that's now useful to you and not useless. Perhaps, he says, this is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. But when you get him back, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Paul is asking for the unimaginable here. Paul says, <laughs> picture this, okay? You, you had this slave who was no good to you. He, he didn't do anything you want him to do. He, he rises up, he takes your stuff, and he runs away. Sounds like the prodigal son, right? Gimme, 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 and I'm going to run away. And this bondservant runs away. Breaking his contract, breaking the promise that he had, stealing probably from his owner as he left. And he's saying, now I'm sending him back and I want you to promote him. 
I want you to change him from a bondservant to a true brother in Christ. Paul is asking the unimaginable. No man can do that. No man's heart is going, you know what? Let me, let me reward your, your stupidity. Let me reward your in, in just let me reward you for being dishonest. Let me reward you for being a thief. Let me reward you for running away and breaking a contract, breaking a promise. Let me reward you for destroying my trust in you. Let me reward you for that. No man can do that. No man. Yet Paul asks Philemon to do this. I guarantee you this. If Paul had been writing to a non-believer, he never would have asked this. Because it would have been impossible. But Paul saw something different in Philemon. He saw a godly man who refreshed the saints, who took care of others around him, who was generous and godly and, and gracious to others. Have him back forever. Paul's not asking that he be released from his contract. He's saying, have him back. Now, he, you, you, you know, he, he, he was away for a while, but now you've got him back to finish his contract. No longer, though, as a bondservant, but, but treat him as more than a bondservant. Treat him as a beloved brother, which is what he is. He says, especially to me. But how much more to you? He's a brother to me, Paul says. But he can be even more than that to you now that he knows Jesus. More to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Physically and spiritually. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, now that he's a believer in Christ, you guys can work together, but you can also worship together. You got him in the flesh, but you've also got him in the Lord, in the Spirit. And so Paul says, take him back, not just as a slave, but treat him as a beloved brother, because that's what he's become to me. And he can be even more than that to you. So, Paul says in verse 17, if you consider me your partner, in other words, if if we are in this together, as guys who are pursuing Jesus together, receive him as you would receive me. He's my son. You accept me, accept my son. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, Well, he's done both of those, hasn't he? He's broken a contract. He's taken from his master. So he's wronged him and he owes him. Paul says, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I am signing the IOU with my own hand, Paul says. And I will repay it. And then this interesting phrase. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Now, this sounds like manipulation, right? Paul's going, ah, here we go. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, Philemon, remember where you were when, when grace found you. You too, Philemon, were a runaway. You were running from God. When God's grace captured you and brought you back. Paul says, God, use me in that process of turning it around. 
God, God used me as, as the messenger who would deliver that message of grace that would, would, would rescue your life. But Philemon, you too were a runaway. Not from the, an earthly master, but you were a runaway from your heavenly master. Let me remind you where grace found you, he says. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Here's another play on words. That word benefit is also a word that sounds almost identical to Onesimus. Remember the name Onesimus means useful or beneficial? Here's the word benefit again. I want some benefit from you. What Paul is saying here is I want to be blessed by you. I want to be filled with the joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Remember what he said back in verse 7? That, 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 that Philemon was one who refreshed the hearts of the saints. Paul saying, I want you to do for me what you've been doing for all those around you. I'm asking for something big. And I want to be blessed by, by your decision. I want to be filled with joy by your decision. And I want my heart to be refreshed by you in this, mo- in this matter. And then Paul finishes up his letter by saying this. Confident of your obedience, I write to you. Paul says, have no doubt that this is in your heart. Have no doubt that this is what you would want to do. But I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Paul knew his character. He knew his grace-filled heart. And Paul says, I'm confident that you're going to do this. And and not just what I'm asking, but you're going to go above and beyond what I can even ask. And Paul says, at the same time that you're doing this, do me another favor. Prepare a place, a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Paul says, I hope to get out of this prison. And when I do, Philemon, I want to come see you. And I want to thank you personally for what you're going to do. And I want to repay you for the debt that is owed. I want to come see you. And then he closes by saying, Epiphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends his greetings to you. And so do Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. And then he closes as he began. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So in this story, we see some different characters that are mentioned. And if we look closely, we can see ourselves in these characters. We've got Onesimus who again broke his contract, ran away, and and took from his master. Thus it would make Onesimus very ungrateful, would make him dishonest, untrustworthy, rebellious, and, and a thief. And he was a runaway. But Paul says that he's been changed. Paul says that by the grace of God, he is now repentant. He is a man that's returning to his master in repentance. He is transformed. He was useless, but now he is useful. He was just a slave, but now he's worthy to be a brother. He's been transformed. And he is faithful and trustworthy, Paul says. I would keep him for myself if I could. But it's best that I send him back to you, Paul says. Paul is writing to this man named Philemon that we've looked at his character and see that he is a godly man, but yet he too was once a runaway from God. And God's grace has captured him and God's grace has brought him back. 
We also see the difference that grace has made in Paul's life. Paul, who was the Pharisee, who loved to command, who loved to tell, who loved to bark the orders and, 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 and recite the law and tell you what you have to do. But Paul's been changed by grace to the place now that he trusts that God's grace was big enough to change him and God's grace is big enough to change others. And so instead of just barking commands and saying, this is what you've got to do, this is what's right, this is what's required, he says, let me remind you of God's grace and let me just trust that the grace that has carried you this far, Philemon, will carry you even farther. The fact that Paul, instead of barking orders, instead of telling of his authority, says, I just want to appeal to you, one brother to another brother. And what we see here is interesting. Paul has led Philemon to the Lord and considers him a son in the faith. And he's led Onesimus to the Lord and considers him a son in the faith. And what Paul is saying now is, boys, you're my sons. And I call you to reconcile this relationship. I call you to put this thing back together. Onesimus, you owe him. You, you went into this and, and, and you made a promise and you haven't fulfilled that promise. But Paul is also serving here as an advocate for Onesimus. He's saying, let me, let me, let me speak for you. He's writing a letter. He didn't have to do it. He could have just sent Onesimus back and said, good luck, brother, but you got to go back. And you better get your story together. Paul didn't do that. Paul says, let me write a letter and let me vouch for you and let me declare to your previous master the changes that God has brought in your life. And Paul serves as an advocate here. He's asking for mercy and forgiveness and grace and acceptance. Those are things that we don't just give naturally. Those are things that we don't just automatically say, let me bestow this upon other people. People hurt us. And our reaction is what? To want to get even. We, we like those verses that say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth when somebody else has offended us. It's our natural response in the flesh to want to get even, to extract from them what they owe us. It's not natural when somebody hurts us. To want to give to them a promotion, much less to let them come back in. We might would say, all right, well, I'll let him come back, but we're going to start the clock over. And he's going to give me another seven years. He, he stole from me, and he did from me, and he did all. And, and, and yet we see Paul standing as an advocate, even to the point that Paul says, if he's wounded you, he's hurt you, he's taken from you, put that on my account. And I'll make good for it. I'm signing the IOU. I will stand good. I will stand in the gap for him. In this story, guys, we see also the heart of Jesus as it's displayed through the life of Paul. We see that what Paul is asking here is only possible through Jesus. Jesus was the one who stood in the gap for you and me as we ran from the Father. It was Jesus who brought grace to bear upon our hearts. 
that would let us repent, that would transform who we are, and that would make us useful for the master. It was Jesus that, that came and, and pursued us because here's, here's what happens. We, in our sin, from the very beginning, not just you and me, but from the very beginning, what did Adam and Eve do when they sinned? They ran. There's your first runaways right there. They're in the garden. They're enjoying the fellowship of God. You say, why would anybody who has it so good, if, if Onesimus had it so good under Philemon, why would he run away? Well, why would Adam and Eve run away when they had it so good in the garden? Because there's something in our heart that hates to allow anybody to have control over us. There is this rebellious spirit that's a part of our fallen sin nature, guys, that just wants to come out from underneath any kind of authority that might be over us. God declares for us in his word what is best for us. And we say, I think I know better. And we run away from God. And we run as Adam and Eve ran, and we hide from God. But the gospel is this, that God comes looking for us. In our sin, in our hiding, God comes looking for us. Here's what I found, though. We are running from God. And as we're running, we're hearing footsteps behind us. And we assume because of the guilt and because of the shame and because of all that, that we're carrying on us that was never intended for us to carry, that because all this is on us, we are assuming that the footsteps we hear behind us is an angry God who is coming to destroy us. And so we hear the footsteps and we run harder and we run faster and we run longer. We, we dive into a cave and try to hide ourselves. And, and when we hear him at the entrance of the cave, we go deeper and deeper and deeper. We hear those footsteps and we fear and we run from God. But I want to say to you today, the footsteps that you hear are the footsteps of grace that are coming after you. It's not an angry God. It's a God of grace that is coming and pursuing you in your sin. It's hard to imagine. It's hard for our minds to comprehend a grace that good. That even in my sin, that God would pursue me. But Scripture says that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He pursued us. He paid the price. It was Jesus who originally said, put that on my account. It was Jesus who said, I, I can transform you and I can make you useful. It, it, it's Jesus who said, if there's anything, Father, that they still owe, put it on me. And God did at the cross. And Jesus paid it fully. We see in this a, a glimpse of, of, of our slavery to sin and, and our running from God. We see all those pictures in there and we can hear the footsteps behind us. And if we don't believe the gospel, we will think those are the footsteps of an angry God coming to destroy us. But in John chapter 3, right after that great verse, For God so loved the world, it says, For Christ did not come to condemn us, but to save us. And those are the footsteps that you hear. 
It's the footsteps of God pursuing you by His grace. The footsteps of God coming after you to say, let me make you my own. Let me take you back and make you my own. Not as a slave or a servant, but as my child who's been promoted. You see, what what Paul is asking of Philemon is what Jesus has offered to us. What Paul is asking of Philemon is nothing less than what Jesus gave to us. He's saying, Philemon, you were a runaway. But grace caught up with you. And grace overtook you. And those footsteps that you heard that you thought were, 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 were something of, of danger now became the sweetest footsteps you've ever heard. Because they were the footsteps of grace that caught up with you and overtook you and transformed you and brought you back home through repentance. Guys, listen, when we run from God, he runs to us. That's what grace is. This grace that Paul is asking for is a grace that's undeserved. He's saying, I know he broke his contract. I I assume he, he stole from you as he left. I know that he's not worthy to be a servant, much less... A trusted brother. But he's saying to this believer, Philemon, give him the grace that God gave you. Give him the grace that you too have received. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is speaking the same words that Jesus would speak. Jesus is our advocate. He is is interceding for us even before the Father. And we have run away. And we have taken the good things that God has given us. And we have used them for ourselves. And the grace of God calls us home. Calls us to come back. To come confidently into the throne room of God knowing that all of our sin and all of our debt has been put on Jesus' account. That all of our sin and all of our shame and all of our guilt and all of that has been applied to Jesus. And he paid it all so that we could be reconciled to the Father. This passage is also a call for you and I to do the same with others. Again, Paul could not have written this letter to a non-believer. It's impossible for a non-believer to give something that a non-believer hasn't received. But it's a letter to a believer, and it's a letter to us as believers to say, you know what, there's going to be people in this world that break their word. People in this, in this world that are untrustworthy. People in this world that treat you wrong, that, that do things to you that they should not have done. And they don't deserve to be back in your company. And they don't deserve to be treated as a a fellow brother or sister in Christ. But welcome them back. And love them as a true brother, as a true sister. We're not told how this story ends. We're not told what happened to the servant who returned. But we are told what happens to every servant Everyone run away 
who comes back to Christ. We're told that story again and again and again in the Gospels. We're told that every runaway who allows grace to overcome them, to transform them, to place within them this repentant heart, that every sinner who repents will be forgiven and cleansed and made a child of the King. This book, this letter that Paul wrote, is an incredible picture of what God does for us. For you see, guys, we are Onesimus. We are the runaways. We have run and run and run from God. Some of you listening this morning may still be running from God. You've sinned and you feel ashamed to be in the presence of God. The guilt is overwhelming. And you think, I've, I've been away so long, how could I go back? And yet the grace of God pursues you. That's those footsteps that you've been hearing. You need to stop dead in your tracks. And turn around and come face to face with this grace that's unexplainable. This grace that is unimaginable. This grace that, 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 that defies human words. And come face to face with that grace. And let that grace envelop you. Let it empower you. Let it change you. You've got to stop running. And you've got to let grace do its work in you. Because it's only after grace does its work in you that grace can then begin to do its work through you. Do you know why Paul could ask Philemon for such a big thing? Because Philemon used to be the runaway who was transformed by grace and was now a giver of grace to others. Do you know Jesus has stood before the Father and said, Father, forgive them. Put their debt on me. And Jesus gladly took our debt upon himself on the cross that we might come home. Home freed of guilt and shame. Home to a father that envelops us in his grace and his love and his mercy and calls us his own. That's the message of the gospel is that God's grace meets you right where you are. He will pursue you relentlessly until you're so tired of running that you stop and you turn around and you come face to face with grace. Many in the church today are running. Some think they're running with God, but they're, they're, they're running, trying to prove themselves to be something that they can never be, trying to become what they cannot be on their own. I would encourage you today, stop running. Let grace overtake you and let it transform you from the inside out. Because then and only then can you become a man like Philemon who's experienced grace and now can give grace to others.
That's what God calls us to do and to be. So wherever you are in the story, whether you're the Onesimus that's still running, or you're the Paul that's trying to point him back, or you're the Philemon who's saying, you know what? Debt's paid. Because listen, forgiveness is costly. If somebody's wounded you, somebody's hurt you, it's costly for you to forgive. For Onesimus to be forgiven meant that Philemon or Paul or someone else would have to pay that debt. Paul says, I'm willing. And then he looks at Philemon and he says, are you? Are you willing? Our Savior, Jesus Christ, is willing. He paid the price. He took our debt upon him and paid the price that we might be one with the Father. His child, forever his. He ran away for a little while, Paul says, but now he's returned to you forever. That's grace. That's the gospel. And that's what God wants for each and every one of us. Not to clean up your life, not to stay away a little bit longer just so that you can get things together and and have something to offer when you go back. You come back empty-handed, covered in grace. And that changes everything. And then and only then can we give that grace away to others. Let's pray.